Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. Good morning, Christ Community Church. Not bad, not bad, but it's a beautiful day. Ohio State couldn't have lost this weekend because they had it off. So you've got to be in a good mood, and I promise you, even though this is, we're going to pretty deep this morning, we'll get out of here by 11.45 so we can beat the Methodists and Nazarenes to the restaurant. So let's do this again. Good morning, Christ Community Church. Awesome. All right. Now, I do have to apologize because I'm telling you right now two things. One, I've just been coughing and sneezing and hacking all day, so I apologize for that in advance. Two, we're going pretty deep this morning. So I'm going to try to move fairly slow. This is the third part in our series on Jesus According To, and this morning we're doing Jesus According to Oprah. And what's going to happen here is I'm going to walk you through some objections to Christianity and how typically once you answer that objection, it raises another question, which raises another question. And I'm going to try to walk you through how you respond to that. Now, some of you are so young that you don't even remember who Oprah Winfrey was um, because ever since she went and bought her own channel and all that other kind of stuff, she's kind of gone off the radar and she's not as popular as she used to be. But in the 80s and 90s, Oprah Winfrey was probably the most influential person in pop culture in North America. Uh, That's just the way it was. She had just millions and millions and millions of women who would watch her just religiously. It was like this huge estrogen cult. And they loved Oprah. And in fact, I mean, every time she recommended a book, it would go number one on the New York Times bestseller list. I mean, she just had an incredible amount of influence. Now, on the one hand, I respect Oprah in that she's a self-made woman. She had a very rough childhood. She overcame all that. All that is, is great. She built a media empire herself. That's wonderful. But she was also raised in a conservative Christian home and considered herself a Christian until she started to run into guys like Deepak Chopra and another guy named Eckhart Tolle. Eckhart Tolle, by the way, is still a best-selling author, and he writes all these books on religion, and he claims to be a Cambridge-educated religious scholar. By Cambridge-educated, he attended a, a seminar open to the public at Cambridge. That's his Cambridge education. Um, and he basically taught that um, Jesus was one of many valid paths to God. And Oprah bought into that. Now, I, the, I didn't watch Oprah when it was on. I watched one show of Oprah's from beginning to end. That's because she had the band Kiss on back in the 80s, and I was a metalhead. And so I did watch that Oprah Winfrey show with Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley, but that's the only Oprah Winfrey show I've ever seen. But people sent me this clip that we're going to play with Oprah saying this. Roll it. A panel has been discussing the spirituality and the forces of God, but I also believe that there are two forces that are here with us, that we do have our, our, our God that we can depend on, but there's also a power of darkness that we do need to be aware of. And that's you, where the choice is. Do you begin. believe that, that you can choose between one or the other? Most 
Most absolute definitely. Yes. Now, now Marianne uh, Williamson says in her book, Return to Love, that we're always walking in the direction of one or the other, that all of your actions in life, either you're moving toward the darkness or you're moving toward the light. Right. She calls it fear and love. There's this wonderful book called Ishmael by Daniel Quinn, which talks, it, which, which is, anyway, it's a gorilla talking, but anyway, uh, it talks about one of the points it brings out is one of the mistakes that human beings make is believing that there is only one way to live That's and right. that we don't accept that there are diverse ways of being in the world that there are millions of ways to be a then human how do being you please and, God? and many ways no but many paths many to what you call God that and her crazy. path might be something else and when she gets there she might call it the light but her loving and her kindness and her generosity brings her, if it brings her to the same point that it brings you, it doesn't matter whether she called it God along the way or not. And I guess the danger that could be in that, I mean, it's, it sounds great on the onset, but if you really look at both sides, I there could couldn't possibly be just one way. What, what about Jesus? What about Jesus? There isn't only one way. There is one way and only one way, and there that is through Jesus. There couldn't possibly be with because a million you of people say in the world. There, isn't. there couldn't possibly be. Because you say, you intellectualize it and say there isn't. If no. you don't believe that, you're all buying into the lie. But that makes you right. Do you think, do you think that if you, if you are somewhere on the planet, where you some, if you're somewhere on the planet and you never hear the name of Jesus, you never hear the name of Jesus, but yet you live with a loving heart, you lived as Jesus would have had you to live, you lived for the same purpose that Jesus came to the planet to teach us all, but you are in some remote part of the earth and you never heard the name of Jesus, you cannot get to heaven, you think? And that is covered in the scriptures, too. People are talked about that. God knows the heart. Does God care about your heart or God care about if you call his son Jesus? Yeah, boy. <clears throat> I get this objection a lot, um, and so I want to take a look at a couple of things. First of all, what did Jesus himself claim? Let's start there. So let's look at John 14, 6. So this is Jesus himself. This is recorded by John, one of his closest friends, disciples, who, who was persecuted his entire life. And he says, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father Father being God, except through me. Does that sound pretty exclusive to you? Jesus himself in the Gospels claims to be God. He claims to be the Son of God. He claims to be the only way to God. That salvation is not found anywhere outside of his offer of grace. Okay, so you have Oprah arguing with Jesus about Jesus which is a little silly. And, and, but this, I, I'm going to walk you through this because that objection raises other objections. Jesus himself claimed this. Jesus himself claimed to be the only way to God. Uh, how many of you have heard the name C.S. Lewis? Ah, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our, Arthur of the Chronicles of Narnia. But C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite authors, he wrote a book called Mere Christianity. If you've never read it, shame on you. You should read Mere Christianity. It's a book I read almost at least once a year, every year. And here's what C.S. Lewis wrote about this. Yes, he was already in a secular culture over teaching at Oxford and Cambridge. And C.S. Lewis actually, this is interesting, just give you a backstory. C.S. Lewis was an atheist. C.S. Lewis' best friend when he was teaching was a guy named J.R.R. Tolkien. Anybody know that name? 
Yeah, he wrote The Lord of the Rings. He wrote the series The Lord of the Rings. So, and, and Tolkien was a Christian. And he kept arguing with Lewis about his atheism until one day C.S. Lewis was on a motorcycle riding out to the zoo outside of London. And, and he said, I don't have any more objections. Crap, I'm a Christian. You know? And he just, he just like that, he became a Christian. Now, see, what I'm going to walk you through this morning is what's called Christian apologetics. What that basically means is it's the defense of the Christian faith. The rational defense of the Christian faith. And what you may not know is that if you are a Christian, you are commanded to be a Christian apologist. 1 Peter 3.15 says, you should always be prepared to defend the hope you have. So, this is a little exercise in apologetics we're going to run through this morning. See, and, and by the way, I hear this all the time. Oh, you can't argue people into kingdom. You can't re- reason someone into faith. Yes, you can, and in fact, it has happened on many occasions. C.S. Lewis was one. J. Warner Wallace was here a little bit back. He's another. Yes, you can. Now, here's what Lewis wrote about Jesus. He said, and it should be in your bulletin if you have one, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, the him being Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who merely, a man said the sort of things Jesus said, would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man, Jesus, was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Okay, that argument that Lewis laid forward is a valid argument. Jesus himself claimed to be God and the only way to God. So, if you don't accept that, you are saying that Jesus was either a liar or he was nuts. But you cannot say he was just a great moral teacher like Gandhi or whatever. Because if you look at his teaching, his teaching states over and over again that he claims to be God and the only path to God. Okay, so that's Jesus' own claim. Okay. Very few people are going to say Jesus was a liar or Jesus was crazy. But then Oprah raises the question, what about those who have never heard? What about the person on some, in some third world country somewhere who has never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ? What about that person? Okay. <clears throat> now, stick with me here. Because we're about to wade into deep water, okay? What I am doing here is, this is what I do when I'm talking to an atheist or or, or an agnostic or, or whatever. I say, okay, if you grant me the possibility that God exists, let me just talk about what that God would be like and what it would mean for all of humanity. So if you just grant me that God exists, here's the thing. This is what Christianity has always taught. You find this in the Gospels. God knows everything about everything. 
God knows everything there is to know. God even knows what would happen if you were put in a situation that you'll never be put in. He knows what decision you would make. So, for example, um, the Mega Millions is now 173 million, not that I've looked. Now, I am tempted to buy a lottery ticket. Even though I know the math, I know that I have the same odds of winning the lottery as I do of seeing Bigfoot riding a great white shark in the Ohio River hunting a unicorn. Okay, I know that. Here's what I also know. Getting that kind of money that quickly changes people. And usually not for good. So, God knows that if I won the lottery, I'm not going to play because the odds are just too far. I'm not going to buy a ticket. But if I did and I won, God knows exactly what Matthew Rawlings would do for the rest of his life with that money. He knows how it would affect me. He knows me that well. He knows you that well. He knows what you would do in any given situation. He knows what any human being would do in any given situation. Make sense? Okay. That's one. Two. Which means God knows who would accept his gospel and who would reject it under any circumstance. God knows if there is some guy out in a third world country somewhere who would accept the gospel, God knows that he would. And if, you, if I'm reading the book of Jonah right and the rest of the gospels right, he will get somebody there to preach the gospel to that person. So this argument, what about those who have never heard? God already knows who would accept his gospel, who would reject his gospel. And if you would accept it under any circumstance, he will get a person there to preach it to you. So this is not an issue. Are we tracking? Okay. Now, so far so good. We're going to get to the third objection here in a minute. But first, I need, to, I need to add a little footnote. Here's the deal, too, that we need to try to help people see, though it's difficult, especially with non-Christians. No one deserves salvation. God does not owe salvation to anyone. Now, here's the way it works. And if you were in my discipleship class this morning, I know this is you know, repetitive because we all went through this, but repetition is the key to learning, so here we go. God made you. The Bible teaches God himself made every human being who's ever lived, knitted you together in your mother's womb, Psalm 139. Therefore, if God made you, he owns you. So this whole thing of, of, you know, what about those, what, what about those, and what about, what about what I deserve, and so You were made by God. You are owned by God. All of us, save one who has ever lived, has sinned against God. God is not only owns us, he is the king of the universe. Therefore, any sin is primarily against him and his treason. Now, for those of you who have served in the military, 
The penalty for treason is death, what the Bible calls hell. All of us, all of us, including the preacher up here, deserves hell. We do not deserve heaven. It is grace that any of us get heaven. Grace is an unmerited gift. It is a gift. None of us deserve it. And so you need to keep that in mind. And we also need to keep this in mind. Now, some of you are going to disagree with me, and that's okay. You can be wrong. I believe that all of us have free will. God created us with free will. Now, that's a problem because if we have free will, can God force us to love him? How many of you have seen the movie Bruce Almighty? Jim Carrey, back when Jim Carrey was still in movies, I don't know what happened to him. He disappeared. Probably took his millions and was living on a beach somewhere. This clip, Jim Carrey is, God is played by Morgan Freeman, if you haven't seen it. And God probably looks and sounds like Morgan Freeman. And, and, and Morgan Freeman gives the power, he has his powers over to this guy, Bruce, and, and who's played by Jim Carrey. But he tells him, he said, there's only one problem. Remember, humans have free will. And his girlfriend, Jennifer Aniston, breaks up with him, and he wants to force her to love him, but she's got free will, and he can't. Roll the clip. An unusually high number of lottery winners has New York officials concerned. So far, 1,100 winning tickets have been turned in, all strangely from the Buffalo area. More on this story as it develops. Enjoying your party? Nothing like spending quality time with great friends, huh? Grace left me. Yeah, I know. She'll take me back. She'll take me back, right? Would you take you back? How do you make somebody love you without affecting free will? <laughs> Welcome to my world, son. You come up with an answer to that one, you let me know. Okay. So that's the world we live in. A world where everybody has free will and God does not force himself upon you. Okay. Now, <clears throat> if we're tracking so far, Typically, if I've got a really sharp atheist in front of me or an agnostic or whatever, the third objection they raise is this. Okay, fine, Matt. God knows everything about everyone. God knows who would accept his offer. God will get somebody there if they would accept. We have free will. So be it. But why would God create people he knows would never accept his offer of salvation? Why would he create people he knows are destined for hell? Is that a fair question? It's a fair question. Okay, so again, I have to say, all right, you're going to have to grant me something here. We're, we're going to have to grant me that God exists, and we're going to walk through this. 
And here's where I take them. The simple fact is, none of us, we like to think that all of us, are individuals, we are who we are, because of the decisions we've made. Is that accurate? No. We are who we are, not just because of the decisions we make, but because of decisions other people make as well. We are influenced by other people, are we not? You are who you are, not just because of the, of the decisions you made, but you also are who you are because of decisions others around you made. So, you know, if, let's say, for example, that I am driving through New Boston, losing my religion, and somebody who's drunk comes and, and T-bones me, and I'm injured, does that affect my life and who I am? Of course it does. Now, if I'm driving through New Boston, as I do every single day, and I just a vent real quick. They're building that bypass to Lucasville, and where the ramp comes is right close to where Megan and I live in Wheelersburg. And so it, it, I've got this dust all the time. That's one thing. But every day I pass it, and I think we're spending millions of dollars to build a bypass around Portsmouth. Why is there not a bypass around New Boston? <laughs> I would raise the money myself if they would do that. That being said, we're also even affected by the things that do not happen to us. So if I'm driving through New Boston, and as typically it happens, you got one guy in the right lane going, doing 25 and one person in the right, left lane doing, doing 26, and I'm in the left lane doing this, but because they're driving way below the speed limit, that drunk driver pulls out and doesn't hit me. Does that affect my life? Okay, here's the point I'm trying to make. None of us are islands, unaffected by everything else going on around us. We are all influenced by other people and other events. We just are. So if that's true, then we need to take the next step. Okay, now, there is a guy, he's a Christian apologist down in Atlanta, Georgia. His name is William Lane Craig. <clears throat> written a number of books, debates atheists all over the world. He has a brain like this. Um, he has two doctorates, two masters and two doctorates, speaks like seven or eight languages, has never lost a debate, has debated dozens of atheists and has never lost. He has beat every single one of them according to a panel of judges who scored the debate. When Lane Craig came up with this, he, he, he dealt with this objection and he wrote in a book this. He said, okay, <clears throat> Given that we know God knows everything about everyone, given that we know people have free will, given that we know that God loves all, according to the Bible, and wants as many to be saved as possible, wants all to be saved if they would, William Lane Craig has argued that the world we live in is actually the best possible world he could create with creatures who have free will. That this world is as good as it gets if people have free will. That he has created a world where the maximum number of people would choose salvation. 
And why did he create people who wouldn't pick salvation? Because without those people existing, the others would not be influenced to accept the offer of salvation. Does that make sense? It's scary to look around, especially in our world today, and say, this is as good as it gets. But if he's to give us free will, maybe it is. You know, we see these things all the time. I, I, I encounter these things as a pastor. The, the objections I get all the time. Why would God allow this to have happened? And I'm sitting there thinking, was it really God or was it because somebody used their free will to do evil? So a guy walks into a church in Tennessee and shoots a bunch of people. It wasn't God who did that. That guy chose to do that. And the problem is this. If you give people free will... What does that mean? That means the possibility that evil will come. You haven't got free will if you can only choose good. You're just a robot. So, this may be as good as it gets. And the funny thing is when I say this, that God may not be able to create a world where everyone chooses salvation and has free will. The objection I get is not from atheists, it's from Christians. Christians go, oh, no, Matt, God can do everything. God can do anything. Uh, not according to the Bible. The Bible itself says God cannot lie. So there are some things God cannot do. And God cannot do the logically impossible. I used to hear this all the time. And even when I was an atheist, this objection drove me crazy. Can God create a rock so heavy that even he can't lift it? Stupidest thing I've ever heard. Because that's logically impossible. That's gobbledygook. That's like saying, can God create a square triangle? Can God create a married bachelor? Huh? Do you see what I'm saying? That's nonsense. It's just nonsense. And what William Lane Craig has argued is that because God loves us, he has created a world where the maximum number of people would choose him with their free will. And that's the world we live in. Now, see, those are the objections. That's how I walk people through it. Now, people say, well, it's still not fair to send those people to hell. That's when I go back to, do we want, do we want to talk about what we deserve? Let's say, let's say that one of you gets elected governor of Ohio. Wouldn't recommend the job, but let's say you get it. <clears throat> and you decide one night, based upon the authority that you have, that you're going to pardon a person on death row. Is that unfair to the other people on death row? Does not everyone on death row probably in all likelihood deserve their punishment? So if one gets pardoned, is that unfair to the rest? I don't think so. I don't think so. This is just where we are when it comes to free will. Why would God give us free will? Because he does love us and he does want to be in a real relationship with us. That's what he wants. He wants us to choose him. But there are the objections. Now, that, 
What about those who have never heard? All this other kind of stuff. That really wasn't that popular in our culture until Oprah starts spouting. And then in the 90s, when she started pushing that stuff, it just exploded. And it's unfortunate. The simple fact is this. See, I'm going to go back to C.S. Lewis again. Another great book, great divorce. Not as good as Mere Christianity, but a great book. C.S. Lewis writes this. There are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says in the end, your will be done. All that are in hell, choose it. Without that self-choice, there could be no hell. No soul that seriously and constantly desires joy will ever miss it. Those who seek, find. Those who knock, it is opened. In the end, it's your choice. It's the choice you make or the choice you would have made. It's your choice. And the people say, oh, still, but hell is just a... Look, the simple fact is we really don't know what hell is like. All we know that hell is separation from God. That's all we know. I'm pretty sure it's not like it is in South Park. I don't think that's accurate. But other than that, I don't know. I know I don't want to go there. But other than that, I don't know. But I do know that we choose. God has given us free will. But God also has foreknowledge and knows everything about everyone. You know, the strange thing looking back. Beginning in 1988, I went on a bender for the next nine years. I spent basically the next decade, I partied like it was 1999 until 1997. And I know that my father wanted to shoot me, and my mother just wanted to cry. And I know that they were both praying for me. But what God knew that they didn't, because God has already been there. God saw that in the spring of 1997, Matthew Rawlings would get down after being diagnosed with cancer, would get down on his knees, pray to a God he didn't know, ask for mercy, forgiveness, and healing. And I would give my life to Jesus Christ. God knew that before he ever made me. God knew that before he ever created the world. But he knew it was my choice. Now, was I influenced? Absolutely I was influenced. I was influenced by the fact that, you know, I was bleeding and this doctor here misdiagnosed me and told me I was probably going to die and all this other kind of stuff. And Of course that influenced me. But I still made that choice. I made that choice. I continue to make that choice every single day, and hopefully so do you. The people who have come into your life, look, I just tell you, I understand where it comes from. We have people in our lives who we know are not Christians. We like them. They die. We don't want it to be that that they're not going to be with us. We don't want to think that they're in hell. When I ran away from home, I went out to Los Angeles. And my first steady gig was I was a music publisher, which is basically a music publisher is, is like an agent for a songwriter. And I was a music publisher for Lieber and Stoller. Um, and Jerry Lieber and Mike Stoller both were very good to me. 
very good to me. Two atheist Jewish kids from New York, very good to me. Um, and Jerry, I especially love Jerry. Jerry just, Jerry Lieber, if you don't know who that is, he wrote half of all Elvis' songs. He wrote Jailhouse Rock. He wrote Hound Dog. He wrote also everything for the coasters, Yakety Yak, all that kind of, he wrote all those songs. He wrote Stand By Me. And Jerry just had this larger-than-life personality, and he was just wonderful. And I didn't know what a big deal he was until one night he asked me, he said, my buddy Dion, and I didn't remember who Dion was, he was a guy from the 50s, said, my buddy Dion's going to be at Universal City tonight, he's part of a concert fundraiser, do you want to go with me? And I was like, yeah, sure, Jerry, and he goes, I'll pick you up in the limo around 7. I was like, limo, yes, 17 with a limo, here we go. Um, and he picked me up, and we go backstage, and I couldn't believe it. Tom Petty was there, who just recently passed away, which... You know, I, I've questioned God. It's like, why, God, why do you keep killing the good musicians? I mean, come on, the Jonas Brothers are still out there if you want to kill somebody. But anyway, um, the, Tom Petty walked up and was like, Mr. Lieber, Mr. Lieber. You know, Johnny Cash was like, Jerry, good to see you. And I'm just sitting there going, wow, he's a big deal. You know, I didn't know what a big deal he was. And Jerry was just so good to me. And after I left L.A. in 91, he would even continue. He'd run into my brother Brian and ask Brian how I was doing, all this other kind of stuff. Just a great guy. And he died a few years ago. And he died, as, as, as far as I know, still an atheist Jewish guy from New York. Which means he's not going to heaven. I don't like that. But he chose that. He chose that. The objection at the end of the day is really emotional. Because we've all had people in our lives that we've liked. And we don't like to think that they're not with God. And so that emotional objection is tough. It just is. And you need to sympathize with those people. I don't like to think of my buddy Jerry separated from God for all eternity. I love the guy. I mean, at the end of the night, this is really cool. End of the night, he's like, I'm getting tired. I'm going to go home. It's like, okay. It's like 9, 30, 10 o'clock. He's like, he's like hey, you want to take the limo tonight, kid? Yes. 17 years old with a limo in West Hollywood, you can do some damage, man. Um, and I did. But I don't like to think about that. But he made that choice. And God loves us and respects us enough to allow us to make that choice. At the end of the day, you don't blame God. It's on us. Anyone who is in heaven chose that life. Anyone in hell chose that life life, or they would have chosen it if they'd known, still. God will save anyone who will be saved. None of us deserve it, but if there's anybody out there, anywhere, that would accept his gospel, he knows it, and he will get someone there. That will happen. There is no problem of those who have never heard God has created a world where the maximum number of people would freely choose salvation. And he could not create another world. And I know Christians don't like to hear that God cannot do this, but I'm telling you that's biblical. Now, this is how I walk people through this objection. How are we doing? We tracking? We're good? We're good? Okay. Okay. 
I know this is tough. I know this is deep stuff. Um, we put in, we're creating a resource page here at Christ Community Church with the most common questions about Christianity, the most common objections to Christianity, with the clearest, shortest response possible so that you can go on that resource page at any time and, and, and look at that stuff. We're also training people in the discipleship classes on Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock back in the chapel. You're welcome to join us as we walk through these. There are very few objections to Christianity I've ever heard that don't have a reasonable response. And I'm just telling you, I know that so many people, oh, it's faith, it's faith, it's faith. Folks, you need to understand what the word faith means. Faith does not mean a blind leap in the dark. It does not. The Greek word faith means belief, trust, and loyalty. It means all three. The Bible says you're to know this stuff to be able to defend the hope you have within you. 1 Peter 3.15, look it up. We've got to become better at this. Because the simple fact is, I don't want someone to go to hell. I don't want, I wish I'd known this stuff when I was 17 and 18 and working for Jerry Lieber and I could share it with him. I don't know if it made any difference, probably not, but I, I wish I could have. Don't let anyone pass your, come across your path at any time that has these questions and try to help them and be of service to them and love them by trying to answer them. And no matter what the question is, as I told my discipleship class this morning, you can always say these three words, I don't no. But you can follow it. You say, but I'll find out. Because this is not about winning an argument. It's about winning a person. And I don't want you to win arguments. I want you to win people. And so it, it, you have to be very gracious about this. A, a buddy uh, of dad's, a guy I'm getting to know, a pastor of the fastest growing church in America, one of the fastest growing churches in America, up in Michigan, he told me this. He said, Matt, people don't always need the right answer, but they do always need the right attitude. So you've got to remain gracious when you're handling these objections and, and discussions. I know you're passionate, some of you are really passionate about it, but you've got to watch. But there are answers. We have a darkness in this, in this area, in Scioto County, that's not going to go away until the people of God stand up and do something about it. And the only way it's ever really going to disappear is for the majority of people in this area to become Christians. And that's up to us. Yes, it's their choice, but we need to bring them the gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you loved us enough to Create us, give us free will, give us your offer of salvation despite the fact we have all sinned against you. And what I pray is that this, these objections that come up, that your people will know the proper response, they'll deliver it with the proper attitude, and they'll just bring more and more people to faith. I pray this not to make a bigger church but a larger kingdom and to have an impact in this area so that years from now, when the drugs are gone, the overdoses are gone, the, the crime is gone, people say, only God could have done that.
And may you get the honor and the glory for it. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, folks, like I said, discipleship class every Sunday morning at 9 o'clock. We will be filming it at some point, too, and will be going on the website. We will get that resource page. I want to thank you. If you've never been here before, I want you to come up and say hi to me. Uh, my name is Matt. I'm here every other week. For the rest of you, tip your creator on the way out. God bless you. Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.